Weekly Signals. Join me, Mike Hasper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hour, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show today is about conflict resolution and how to resolve it in a private confidential manner. And we've talked about all kinds of privacy. We've talked about information privacy, medical privacy, financial privacy, religious privacy. And it's really about time that we talk about mediation and the kind of privacy and all the benefits and burdens of it that you have in resolving conflicts. And I'm so thrilled today that we are going to be interviewing Max Factor III, and he is a full-time neutral specializing in resolution through mediation, arbitration, and early neutral evaluation of everything from real estate, employment, entertainment, construction, partner disputes, and in the negotiated resolution of complex business litigation. And we both being mediators for a long period of time have been in similar circles. And he recently wrote an article that I saw back in March, and I've been wanting to talk to him about it. It was it was called Something You Should Know, One in a Series of Ob- Observations Derived from Academia. And it was talking about when we negotiate and how we negotiate and trusting and all those issues. Every single one of you listening to this has had conflict in your life. I mean, that's part of life when you view things differently from someone else. So today we're going to talk about mediation and the aspects of privacy and confidentiality that people really don't always understand. So we are just thrilled that Max is going to be joining with us and just a little bit more about him. And then I wanted to tell you that there's a lot more about him at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where you can see his bio, you can see his picture, you can link to his website. But Basically, besides being a full-time mediator, he's an elected distinguished fellow of the International Academy of Mediators, and he is an adjunct professor at the Strauss Institute for Dispute Resolution since 2006, and he's been selected as a top neutral by super lawyers every year from 2005 to 2010. As I said, besides finding out about him at our website, you can go to Factor mediation.com and see a lot more. So thank you so much, Max, for joining us. You're certainly welcome. It's my delight. Well, let me ask you something. 
a lot of people don't understand what it means to be a dispute resolution professional. And I think we better start out with that and kind of help people understand the difference between mediation and arbitration and all the other things that you do. Because sometimes people will say to me, well, you're a mediator. That makes you, that means that you just make a decision outside of the court, right? And they totally don't understand it. So I'm going to let you explain it, Max. I, I think of... Uh, mediation really not much different from being a good mother, a good father, a good brother, a good sister, a good family member. Uh, mediation's about communication yeah. and getting people well informed when there's a misunderstanding. I know that sounds quite simple, uh, but it's not. Uh, when when people are hurting, when people feel betrayed in a business situation. Uh, or an employment situation where they feel they may have been harassed or discriminated against or they're just profoundly disappointed by the environment that they're working with. Um, getting people to respect each other, to talk with each other, um, sounds simple, but many times it's it's very difficult for them to carry on a constructive conversation. My job is kind of like oil is in a car engine. It's to allow the engine to run smooth and not to overheat. And so I see myself as a facilitator of resolving conflicts in business and real estate, employment, and insurance. So, so, so that's let's what ex- I do. Yeah, so let's explain to people that I still think, even though mediation has been around and I've been doing this for 25 years, people still get confused between mediation and arbitration. Well, so, there's, a, there's a good right line that separates the two. In most arbitration, whoever sits in the imaginary black nylon robe actually listens and gets well-informed and then makes a decision that's binding on everybody. So if you're not happy with the way that arbitrator resolves the dispute, that's too bad. That becomes the final decision between the two parties that may be two litigants who may be disputing over whether uh, for instance, uh, $20,000 of what their goods that were delivered were in fact effective. Whatever that arbitrator says, everybody has to accept. Whereas in mediation, we all simply discuss the matter, come to an understanding about what had happened, how it happened, how it may have caused harm. Uh, it's all done confidentially. And then people either choose to resolve that matter, not necessarily with a compromise. It could be all one way or all the other, but they either choose to resolve it or they choose not to resolve it. So as a mediator, I'm helping people get well-informed. I'm, if you, if you will, empowering them to make a decision uh, for themselves instead of letting it be imposed on them as it would be if there were an arbitration or a judge. Right. So for when they go to court, they, they do have a right to appeal. Most of the time in arbitration, like you said, when the arbitrator makes a decision, it is imposed upon you, and you really don't have any redress at that point. Whereas in mediation, when Max or I, when we're facilitating the negotiations and helping the parties to come to a, a resolution that they can all live with, then they sign and they're committing to it, and they're committing to it. So they won't have a reason to appeal it usually, you know, unless there was some fraud or something else involved. But at that point, the the deal is done, absolutely done. And another thing 
that's important it is when it's arbitration. Let's talk about the confidentiality of arbitration and mediation as well. Why don't you explain that, Max? Well, part of part of me just smiles because um, privacy means something so different in today's world. When we sit together in a mediation, and let's take a, a very um, straightforward example, which is someone purchased a house and um, then discovered defects, and they um, bring uh, a lawsuit to get money for the defects they say were not disclosed. Perhaps the um, the entire wiring system may have had defects in it that had been concealed, just as an example. Right. So when you get into that mediation, as often as not, it's going to involve the buyer and the seller. Uh-huh. It's going to involve the brokers who presumably would have turned lights on and off, or if they were good, they would have turned on several computers and the dishwasher all at the same time to see about the electrical system. Uh-huh. But it may also involve the electrician who's, who's done electrical work at the house. And they'll all come together, and we'll have a conversation. And everybody agrees it's private. And yet there's a voice inside of me that says, in today's world, everything seems to get taped, not just Mari and Mac <laughs> and Lloyd. <laughs> so even though it's private, it's very possible that the electrician may say, you know, now that I look at this work, I did a bad job. And... That information, everybody in the room hears. And so while they may not take that information out of the room and use it to cause harm to the electrician, in other words, to call up the electrical board and say he admitted he did a bad job, because everybody agrees there's privacy in mediation, when people are telling the truth and they're sitting and communicating, um, everybody hears that information and they look at each other and they feel about each other differently depending on what was said. Right. So in a real sense, it's important that there be privacy so everybody can communicate and then readjust their feelings because they've learned so much. But having said that, when the mediation's over, if the matter doesn't resolve, everybody who leaves there is presumably very well informed about facts they can't tell anybody. Right. So if you make an admission mm-hmm. in mediation, are you given an apology that, that is perceived as an admission, mm-hmm. then that cannot be used against you when you get to trial if mediation doesn't resolve all the disputes. And the answer to that is yes. In any litigation, any litigation arising out of that dispute, or even in an administrative proceeding where someone... Um, for instance, uh, has a license for electricity, you, 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 uh, and you maybe want to hold that admission against that person. So even in those situations, you're not allowed administratively to bring it up. Uh, so it's a very broad confidentiality in California um, in terms of whether it can be introduced into a courtroom to hurt someone, to cause harm or introduced into an administrative proceeding to take away someone's license. Having said that, I know this will offend some people, and many lawyers will disagree, but as I understand the law over the last 20 years, if 
somebody who was in a mediation leaves mediation and hires a plane and skywrites. The electrician, John Smith, said that this job at such and such an address was done poorly by him. Mm-hmm. And it's skywritten over the Super Bowl and shown <laughs> on TV. There's no question there's a breach of confidentiality. But there doesn't appear to be any punishment in the statute for breaching confidentiality uh, that's expressly in there, except it says that you may not do it in a trial or an administrative proceeding, or the judge, of course, would have the power to terminate that proceeding and start over again with a new fact finder, and would even have the power to make the person who breached confidentiality pay for the attorney's fees and costs of the other side who's been in a trial, and now the trial's been, if you will, infected by the virus of breaching confidentiality. So it's a very strange notion of confidentiality or secrecy or privacy that you can't introduce it in a trial or in an administrative proceeding, but if you put it out there in skywriting on the Super Bowl and it's seen by millions of people on TV, you breach confidentiality, but there's no remedy for it, That at least I'm about which I'm aware. Well, the only way there'd be a remedy for it is if you settled the case and you put in liquidated damages for sharing that information, right? So if you, if you don't settle and you write it across you know, the sky or tell everybody that you know, that's one thing. Or go on the Mari Frank show. <laughs> go on my show, exactly. There'll be millions of people who will hear it. Right, but as you know and as I know, every time we settle something... Everybody, especially companies, want to make sure, or especially if there's a workplace mediation that settles, they don't want the other employees to know what this former employer employee got. Absolutely, they don't want that. Or, or if there's a personal injury case, they... But is that a good idea, Mari? Well, Because you know, privacy is a very special thing. We all value it on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not always such a great thing, is it? Especially if there's something, some danger out there, right? If you have a person who may be a predator in the workplace, and because the person's a very good salesperson and generates hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of gross sales, the employer may protect that predator by paying fifty or a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in a sexual harassment suit, but leave that predator in place. And if there's confidentiality, and if everything is private, that's not good for society. Right. Well, and I... it's not fair to society to use the court system and taxpayer money to keep a wrong secret to protect a predator. So and that could happen. privacy yeah. is it has to be weighed in a broader context. Right. And this isn't just what happens in mediation. Sometimes parties will settle with their attorneys. So, it, you know, and the same thing could happen without a mediator. Correct. And I think, at least from, from my perspective, you're more likely to get a better agreement with a mediator who's going to see both sides and who would hopefully bring up the ethical issues of what about, how do you feel about this predator being out there when you're speaking with one side or the other? And like, what can we build into this agreement that will protect future people? You know, so, I had a, a fascinating mediation, and it involved really a, a, a beautiful attorney. Uh, he's he's quite physically disabled; his mind sharp as a ta- tack. Mm-hmm. And he was representing a a young woman who 
had been um, who, who alleged and and I believe had had been um, humiliated by the manager in this particular retailer establishment in which he would have um, different uh, young women put on different um, trade dress you know clothing for that retail establishment and this was her first job she was eighteen years old mm-hmm. and um Essentially, he humiliated her, and intentionally so, because of his voyeuristic uh, behavior. Mm. And but he, this was a terrific retail outlet. It was among the largest grossing in this national chain. And uh, so the lawsuit was brought, and we spent several hours just in denial, of course. Right. And yet, when I spoke with this young woman. And you saw the way her body trembled when she just began to think about it. And you listened and you asked about her family and her brothers and her sisters and her co-workers. It was clear that something had happened of real consequence and that it had cut to the core of this, this young woman, uh, hopes and dreams of what work would be like. Right. And so uh, I, I convinced, which wasn't that hard, the insurance person who was there offering very little money, claiming that this was an important person and, and, and this other young girl was just trying to, to embarrass him. I said, well, why don't we do this? Why don't you just come in the room and you will have a conversation? I don't need to be there at all. The attorney can sit in a corner. He'll just be quiet. You just have a conversation with her. And uh, at first they rejected that idea, said it was stupid. <laughs> and um, I said, how can it, I said, you're making the decision that a whole large number of people in a courtroom are going to review and decide whether it's right. And the only difference between you and them is they will get to hear the whole story. And you never took that opportunity. So she said, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> she went in, she said, I'll be out in five, 10 minutes. I said, fine. So about an hour and 20 minutes later, she comes out. <laughs> and you can see if she's been crying, you know. Mm. You can see she's been so deeply touched. Um, and by the, what's happened to this young, young woman's hopes and dreams. And, and, you know, there's no point in saying that, well, someone else might not have been as sensitive or something because, you know, we take life as it comes to us. Right, right. So she comes out and she says she wants to speak to the owners and doesn't want to have the manager there. So I say fine, and then the owners come in to see me and want to know what I've done. This isn't right. This is the best manager they've ever had. I don't understand. He couldn't have done this. Mm. And you've got the insurance person saying, oh, no, he's he's a terrific salesman, but I have no doubt he sold this young girl a bill of goods, and I have no doubt he's done it with several other people. Mm. And the insurance person got the owner to call some of the younger women who were working in the retail store and had his wife, the man, the owner's wife, talk with them on the phone. And they all acknowledged that similar things had happened to them. And then the attorney for this young woman, because he had been demanding a half a million dollars, said, look, it's not about a half a million dollars. Here's what we need. And it was, it was a lesser sum. I think it was about 370 something like that. But it's all conditional on you not only firing him, but reporting this to the police. Very good. 
And I thought, what a wonderful plaintiff's counsel here. Right. He sees that the difference between 370 and 500 may not affect his client's life, and I'm sure he had permission from his client, and I'm sure he cut his fee, too, somewhat. Right. But this will protect other people. He's not going to abuse the privacy of our mediation to threaten the safety and the well-being of others. So it was a very moving thing because, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to do to protect the future? And I see the adversaries getting together in an effort to, in effect, get around the privacy or the confidentiality of the mediation by agreeing that they were going to do something afterwards with a confidence level that when the police did the interviewing and the lie detector test, they would know what happened and they would move forward. And Max, that's so important. And I think you're bringing out besides this, this moving story and how this, you know, there was real closure for everybody on this. Besides that, it shows what can be done in mediation that can never be done in a courtroom. I mean, they wouldn't have heard her story until they got to the courtroom. And, and it would come point, out the same way because right. a conversation with an 18-year-old girl who was, you know, her, her dreams who were all lollipops and roses, really. And not only that, I mean, just, I mean, for the plaintiff's side, the plaintiff would have had to be embarrassed, be on the witness stand, have to really be humiliated again mm-hmm. and go through this again while she's on the witness stand. Because and effectively that, she was tricked by this man. Right. So it would be... She would feel a great deal of shame if she had to talk about it. Exactly. And, and you know that the defense would be saying that she she knew what was going on and she was just looking for a better job. And you, right. I mean... And then all the witnesses, the, the other people who worked there, were, would be afraid to say anything because of the fact that they still work there or they don't work there. or they'd, they'd be embarrassed. So the plaintiff's side would really be hurt by it. And then the defense, that would embarrass the retailers for keeping on a person like that and make them look bad. The reputation of the company would also be tainted. So by doing this through mediation in the wonderful way that you did it, Max, it was able to be a healing for everybody and a good settlement. And the idea that it was kept out of the public eye, it was kept out of, I mean, not only is it kept out of the jury's eye and the courtroom's eye, but all of the public records that would be up on the Internet, that that all would be out there to destroy somebody's reputation. And, and this some way. innocent people, because this right. guy was good at being... Um, an abuser, right? And it, it, and he might have been really, you know, the other thing sitting up on that witness stand, he might have been a real sociopath and been able to convince the jury otherwise. Oh, I think that's quite possible. He's, um, you know, I know who it is. Obviously, he gives yeah. a great deal. Of, he, he, at least at the time, gave a great deal of money to charity and right, quite a significant popular right. local figure. And, with and the it kids. would just, it would be horrible for everybody. So. This is the kind of case that really does well to settle things and to really put a healing on it, which is what one of the real beauties of mediation. Mm-hmm. We are speaking with Max Factor III, who is a full-time mediator and an elected distinguished fellow of the International Academy of Mediators and adjunct professor at the Strauss Institute for Dispute Resolution up in Malibu, and he's been doing that since 2006. 
and he has been selected as a top neutral by super lawyers every year from 2005 to 2010. And you can learn more about him at factormediation.com and also at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And you're listening right now this morning to Privacy Piracy. I'm Mari Frank, the host, and we're really enjoying our conversation with Max. And, you know, Max, we should also talk about the difference. There is a real difference between confidentiality and privacy as well. And when I'm talking about privacy, now I'm talking about information privacy. And I've noticed this with a lot of mediators, and I teach mediation myself at UCI. And confidentiality is keeping the confidences. You know, we have the evidence code that protects mediation. Most of us have mediation agreements where people actually sign an agreement that they also will adhere to the mediation process and they will adhere to the confidentiality of it. But there's also that issue of what are the documents that people are sending back and forth, even though it's a confidential process, are they really protecting the privacy, the information privacy in their offices so not everybody has access? And also to their emails, are they sending emails with sensitive data that isn't encrypted? What are your thoughts about that when you teach mediation and negotiation? My first my first thought is to smile because my dad used to tell me when I was a young man, of course I didn't understand it, you know, a teenager and things. He'd say things like, never say anything to anyone unless you want it repeated to everyone. <laughs> you know? And I'd say, well, Dad, it's different. If I'm angry at so-and-so, I can tell him what I think. And he would say, only if you don't mind their best friend hearing what you said, your best friend, strangers, all sorts of people, because Anything you say or do um, has an effect, not just on the person whom you're speaking, but to everybody else who hears about it. And they may not hear about it in the same context, of course. Uh, You know, it may be distorted when it's being repeated. And I always thought that was really extreme. And, of course, he was a very quiet man (laughs) based on that and and, and some very good judgment, I think, in in life and a very effective person. Um, And so what I frequently see, Mari, is that people say things in mediation that, or produce a letter. Um, I don't just handle employment matters, but again, we had a case where uh, the one side was um, claiming severe sexual harassment, and the other side uh, was saying that it never, ever harassed this person in their life. This was a complete fiction. Mm-hmm. And um, so we we go about an hour, and it's very, very positional and very, very angry. And the lawyers have each instructed me they can't be in the same room together. Right. And uh, because the woman can't stand what a liar he is, and, and, and he says he won't be in the same room because she's such a liar. They've never had, he never has touched her, nothing. And... Um, so after about an hour and a half, I, I said to her, in order for me to help you, you need to help me. Why is it that I, I want to believe you, but why is it that a stranger who doesn't know you would believe you? And she reaches in her purse, and she takes out not one, not two, but three consecutive Valentine's Days with notes from this man. <laughs> Not emails, but, you know, these are real cards, right? Right. And this was his handwriting. Mm-hmm. 
And she says, and you, she's just, you know, uh, there's a tear in her eye, you know? Yeah. And her voice is, is you know, hard as, you know, a, a fragile metal. I don't know quite how to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a metal that's going to crack, you know? Right. And she she kind of, you know, spit out the words, ask him if he doesn't know me how he could say these things. Uh-huh. So you brought the Valentines in, right? So, um... <laughs> I called the other, called out the other attorney. I said, um, "Look, I have something that as soon as your client sees it, he's going to change his story." Mm-hmm. So, um, you want to be the one to break the news? Do you want me to be? How do you want to handle this? And he said, "You're the mediator. It's your problem." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, we're going to have a joint meeting then." Oh. I said, "And I'll control the." You know, right. if there's talking to be done, just tell your client that I want to be in charge, not to talk over me and vice versa. Right. So he says, okay, but my client's not going to talk. I said, well, it's okay. She may not talk either. <laughs> and I told the lawyers they couldn't talk. Right. So we simply came in and I told her to leave the, uh, you know, take the cards out of her purse and just put them on the table in front of her and not say anything. And that's what she did. And he looked across the table and he looked across the table and he apologized and said mm. what a jerk he'd been. And the lawyer was saying to him, stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and because the lawyer understood this bit about privacy you asked about. Right. By him saying that apology and what he was doing, the privacy of the relationship is now right. <laughs> exposed, okay? Yes, it's confidential. Yes, no one's allowed to repeat this in a, a court. But that lawyer can't go forward defending him, saying he never knew this woman, he's never touched this woman, you know, he's never harassed right, this woman. Right. It may be he didn't harass this woman. It may be he simply, I'm under a bad term of harassment, but it may be he didn't force himself upon her. But he. But in her mind, he did. In her mind, he lied to her. Right. I mean, if you read those letters, you'd have no question that she had every reason to believe that she was a sincere object of affection. Right, right. So, you know, not just because I'm a father of three daughters and have a wife, but, um, you know, to me, the harassment doesn't have to be physical. This is a betrayal. Right. And intended to be a betrayal when he did it. Right. But again, again, the beauty of that is this came out in a private setting that really protected not only the plaintiff, but the defendant as well. I mean, they could settle and have it be done and have everybody know what's really going on. But again, it, it really is a benefit for everybody that it didn't have to go into the court and have to be, you know, display all of their emotions and all of their feelings and all of the discovery and everything else out there for them to have to deal with. And it really was a much quicker resolution, too, by just getting that evidence. Yeah, no, it could not have been resolved without everybody being on telling the truth rather than making up a story. You know, when we I mean, talk her about story, you know, right. was one of her being attacked by him, basically, when that's not what happened. And his story was he didn't even know her, basically. So you couldn't resolve the case until people had the courage to communicate openly and honestly with each other. Yeah, this kind of reminds me, Max, of an issue that I had one time when I was doing a court mediation, and I, you'll get a kick out of this because I know that you probably experienced something very similar. 
I was doing a mediation, and it was a um, it was a personal injury case. Mm-hmm. And um, in that case, the the insurance carrier was there, and he just was furious. He was there with defense counsel. And he said, we're not offering anything. We don't believe any of this. And you know what? And we're mad because they filed a lawsuit without ever even writing us a letter. And, you know, you could tell he was mad about that. That was that was really the thing that got him. And so he I felt re- disrespected. He felt disrespected. So this was not really about the plaintiff and her injuries. It was really about the attorney that he was mad at. So I said, um, I'm going to go back in the other side, you know, the shuttle diplomacy doing my Kissinger and drag. And and I went back in the other room and I said, and I asked them, can I, can I kind of let them know that you're, this is something that you felt was disrespectful, that you didn't even get a letter. And um, he, I went back to the other uh, attorney and the plaintiff and I said, gee, you know, this is what he's saying. He said, you know, you didn't even call or write a letter or anything. And he said, well, that's not true. Here's the letter. And he pulled it out. And there was a different uh, adjuster on the case previously. Mm. And he didn't give him the whole file. Mm. So I said, may I? And he said there were several letters. And there were letters back and forth. But he wasn't the one on the on the case. Mm. So I said, would you allow me to bring those in there? Because I think this is more about the anger about how he was disrespected than anything about this case. He's not opening to, he doesn't want to offer a penny, and it's really not about this plaintiff and her injuries. Mm-hmm. He said, sure, take take the whole file. I said, just give me these pages. Just give me these these five letters. So I go back in there and I said, these are the letters that were sent to your insurance company, and they were sent to your previous, uh, the person who worked for you previous, you know, previously who worked for the company who gave you the case. And he looked at him, and he totally changed. Mm-hmm. And then he was resettled in about another hour, mm-hmm. <laughs> and settled in a very fair manner where he totally said, oh, well, I didn't get this. And I said, well, I don't think it's this attorney's fault that you didn't get it. It sounds like there was some mix-up at your office that somehow you didn't get the complete file. But I don't think that that really should have an effect on how you're going to settle this case. And he goes, no, absolutely not. And I'll tell you, afterwards, they shook hands. Everything was good. But that goes to show you how important anger and emotions and betrayal and feelings of respect, all that stuff enters into the issues of of conflict, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, each of the what I'll call basic emotions, and I'm going to I'm going to just pick six there. Okay. You know, there's some people who make a list of 20 emotions, and others say there's three or four, and some people don't want to use words like emotion. They they um, use physical signs. Like, of course, we know if you have a baby and there's a large noise, that the baby <laughs> will jump yep. know, because babies react to noise. Or if you have a baby and you're holding him or her and you just let her go just for a second intending to catch her, she'll yelp as soon as she's unsteady. So uh, emotions aren't just the labels we give them. It's clear that just certain acts taken in context create emotions. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. let's take the kind of emotions we see normally. One is that people are angry when they come to a mediation. They feel betrayed. Right. They feel the other person disrespected them. And this can be 
um, not just in an employment case where there's, a, say, a termination and the issue is whether it was wrongful. This is just as true when when someone says that uh, goods or services that were performed were done inadequately or were imperfect, because the person who performed it tends to have pride in what you know she or he have done. Or, or a partnership dissolution. There's so many you know disappointed expectations or correct or, fact, or, or a family lie. each other who who. Um, now want to have nothing to do with each other because they fear that one or the other is exploited or has stopped working or whatever the right issue is. or so, or even family law, which I do, you know, that kind of mediation God as well. You. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of sadness, betrayal. It's all of those, so all of the talk, above. Let's talk about <laughs> anger for a sec. It's, um, okay, I sure. Actually, we all hear that. <laughs> there's some wonderful work being done. Um, started at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, with a lady named Jennifer Lerner. She's now at, at Harvard. There's good work being done at Stanford, Caltech, uh, Colin Kammerer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's wonderful work being done on these basic emotions and then looking at neuroscience to see what goes on. And the, taking sort of the key ones, anger. Mm-hmm. There have been now hundreds of studies that when people are angry, they... It's almost as if they become, at some level, manic. They they have a stronger sense of control over everything around them. They're very optimistic about their ability to affect a solution with whatever they think is right, often, as you know, violence or mm-hmm. some tactic that's quite aggressive. Power. They, mm-hmm. they tend to be very eager to act or act very quickly. Right. Um, and... Unfortunately, <laughs> when you check their intelligence in this process, their cognitive ability is generally pretty impaired. From a neuroscience standpoint, there's kind of an easy explanation, um, and that is anger is one of those emotions that's not processed to begin with in the prefrontal cortex. It's processed much further back in the brain, closer to right after the reptilian <laughs> And so when someone is is angry, all their information gets processed not in the prefrontal, but first it goes through the effective emotions, and I I could could look and tell you the exact place in the brain, not so important. Um, But how do how do we see that? We see that because you see people who scream and yell and expect that someone's going to do what they say. You know, Uh, we see that. Um, to use a slightly political but I think quite accurate example, after the attack on uh, 9-11 and America felt a need to respond, um, we were all very optimistic about the results of the response. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we went in, when we went into Iraq, when we went into Afghanistan, the president announced mission accomplished. When people are angry and they respond out of anger, the most common assessment they make over and over again, there have been literally hundreds of studies, is they're very optimistic about how well they're doing. Mm. And there have now been hundreds of, of, of test negotiations and in universities and in colleges where they take uh, simple negotiation games just to see who will get how much money from, say, $100 that starts out and there's a series of bets back and forth or exchanges back and forth. Right. And they'll take one of the parties and they'll provoke them 
by insulting comments or whatever to make them angry. And whoever that party is, at the end of the negotiation, then they ask him questions, you know, were you satisfied and how did you do and so forth. And overwhelmingly, they are very happy about how they did and very pleased about how they did. And I, virtually without exception, every study shows that they did less well yes. than the people who weren't angry. And they usually find that out later, though. They you do know? find it out later. They almost always find it out later. Right, because I, I play games in my negotiation class, too, where we get that, and we find out that the person who was angry or who was aggressive like that, usually at the end of the game, everybody hates them, and they really feel terrible at the end. But I remember this. I forgot who was the, the one who created this quote, but I love it. It says, speak when you're angry, and you'll make the best speech you ever regret. <laughs> That's just about perfect. Yes, yeah. And um, I'm I'm looking it up quickly. Uh, I started one of my I got a, a Queen Elizabeth. Let's see if I can find the article. She she this is you know of course a couple hundred years ago now right right. Hold on so I can find this great yes here it is. Um, and, you know, while you're looking for that, you know, uh, everything that I've studied, and I have a master's in psychology, and they always say that anger is really hurt from the past, pain from the past that comes out in anger. Pain, it could be the past a minute ago, or it could be the past from 20 years ago. But that anger is, it drives us, and like you said, you know, you don't do as well when you're angry because you're not thinking clearly. You've got to get to the point of not reacting. Well, you're not able to think as clearly because your think, clear thinking comes in the front part of your brain, your right. prefrontal cortex. Right. And anger is processed in the uh, center of the brain where emotions such as hurt and sadness and pain are processed, all the effective emotions. Right. And, and what Queen Elizabeth I said, yeah. anger makes dull men witty but it keeps them poor. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. uh, and, and anger causes you to react rather than respond. Correct. It's that, you know, fight or flight type feeling. And when you get into conflict and you speak when you're anger, angry, you're, you're going to be reacting rather than processing and responding. And, and what's interesting to me is many people, let's, I'm not picking on lawyers, but sometimes you'll see lawyers and they'll make an initial presentation when there's hostility where they're very aggressive, very assertive, very threatening. If you ask them, you know, do you think that's working? They say, yes, we're going to scare them into, into accepting our deal because they're going to see how strong we are. Right, right. But the reality is that fear invokes the you know, fight or flight right. consequence. Mm -hmm. So the lawyers who do that, and once again, there's hundreds of studies that show this, fear creates a sense of uncertainty and a lack of individual control in people. So what they do is, just like the deer that freezes in the headlights, mm -hmm. they don't move forward. They don't make the decision to resolve. Instead, they back up and they reassess. And in effect, fear especially in an environment where you have a negotiator, encourages the person to back off, to re-examine 
what their strengths are, maybe to, to look for a new ally or for another way to approach the problem. And so, strangely enough, something that people try and do frequently in a fight, which is show how strong or mean or venal they can be so the other side will be afraid of them, will cause the other side to become thoughtful and reflective and look for allies somewhere else to try and control this thing they can't control. So fear actually induces, as often as not, a wiser response. Right, because you have to get creative with somebody who's coming at you in that right. kind of forceful way. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or um, as one researcher, when I was reading it, said, fear primes an implicit goal of uncertainty reduction. Mm-hmm. Put another way, if someone says you have certain death if you continue this fight, instead of the person stopping the fight, they look for a way to, to, to tend to that fear. And, and very often they find it by making a new alliance, um, or they find it by reanalyzing the position they've taken and taking a different one. So it's kind of interesting that part of the reason I think angry people do worse in a negotiation is because they try and invoke fear in the other person. So not only are they being disabled because they're thinking in the place where all these hurt emotions are, but they're causing the other person to be pushed into their prefrontal cortex and to be really thoughtful because they feel threatened and they have to reduce the threat. Yes. So it's uh, when people say it's not wise to speak in anger... <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's there's one caveat with all that, and and that is in our litigious society when when it's so expensive to litigate, mm-hmm. there I see people sometimes will get into heavy litigation, and I just was trying to settle a civil case that came from the Orange County Superior Court about a week and a half ago, and I won't tell who it was, but it was an insurance carrier. And um, and it's a case that really should have settled, absolutely. And and uh, I you know wasn't real happy about it that it didn't settle because <laughs> I usually settle my cases like you do. But you know that happens to us. And anyway, well, we're not responsible. For no, the we're not. We're responsible. To, you to, should to, ask me about that. I have. Yeah, and I will. But anyway, I felt bad. And um, but I really liked the attorney for this insurance company, mm-hmm. and uh, he told me that he was in house counsel. You know, he was one. He wasn't the general counsel, but he was in house counsel, and they said it doesn't matter. They're not going to offer a penny. We're just here because we were forced to come here by the court, and I don't agree with that necessarily. Um, but they would rather fight and to the end and just wear the other party down, and that is the way they are, and just. I'm sorry that we can't settle because I think they they even said they thought that it would be a good idea to settle, but they won't. So that is part of it is when you've got the power, if you're in the position of you've got the money, you've got the power, you've got in-house counsel, you're not really paying outside counsel. And then the other side has an attorney that's taking it on contingency and they, you know, it wears people down. And those are the types that when they have no intention of settling and they want to keep up this fight, that's a real tough one. I, I'm sure you've dealt with that too, haven't you? Sure. Um, I, there are a whole bunch of, I don't, I don't like to call them tactics, but I'm going to call them tactics just for this conversation. Okay. I know it's not private. I understand that. Right. <laughs> um, when, 
when people say, you know, I don't need to settle, I'm going to see this through, I'll spend as much money as I have to, I want to destroy them. I'd rather be right than happy. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, I, I have a, a number of ways I deal with it. One way is what I'll call the family way. I, I will switch the subject and say, tell me something, your family, you eat dinner together? And, you know, they'll answer yes uh, most of the time, I said. So you must be talking about this case. You feel very strongly and invested in it. Tell me about how your children react when you talk about it. And then later on, I'll ask how his wife will react, or husband, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. And uniformly, you know, very high percentage, they say, they all think I'm obsessed or I'm crazy. And, and they like don't that. want to hear about it. <laughs> they don't want to hear about it. Yeah. So yeah. I say, I say, I know we're way off, I'm way off base, but I, I want to pursue this a little longer. I know your wife must love you or your husband must love you. I know your children must love you. Um, is there anything else in your life they talk to you like this, that they say you're way off base, that they don't want to hear about it when you feel strong about it? And they'll say no. I'll say, so what's, what's going on? Why is it that the people who love you the most think you shouldn't be here and you think you should risk the money that you're saving to help them um, to be here? What's going on that, it's causing this. And I don't usually wait for an answer. I usually say, look, it's not my business, but I'm going to leave you to think about that and maybe give a call to your wife or your kids and get their viewpoint about how they'd handle it. So when you make the decision, you make it in the context of listening to all the people you love. It's not a matter of listening to me. Right. And then I leave. Yeah. Because if I really stayed to find out what's going on, I'd get yet another story, if you know what I'm saying. Right, Of right. their feelings. But instead... You know, when I come back the next time, I say to them, you called your family yet? If they say no, I say call them, and I get out of the room. I leave it. <laughs> yeah. And they get it, and they do call. And then, you know, that same case can settle where I was thinking of one where it wouldn't take a penny less than 185000 on a plaintiff's side. And I knew they had two children, and he talked about their education. And I said, what would it take invested now to cover the the education of your two children through California California colleges. He says he needed a moment. He does this figuring, and he comes out with $55,000. And I said to the attorney, how much do you need to end the case today? Why don't you talk to your client? You don't need to tell me. And then let's just give me a number, and I'll see if I can get that, and then your children will be educated. Uh, I know this was no fun, you know, the accident you had, but at least something good will come out of it, the security for your children. And you'll walk out of here and be done. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't say that. And um, he, he said, this is ridiculous. That's not why I came here. I said, that's okay. Just give a call to your family, see what they think. And then I came back, and 10 minutes later, and they gave me a number like 75000 And I went in the other room and said, this is your last, best, and final, and only chance. Mm-hmm. You'll come down from 185 to 75 if you just say yes now and pay in five days. <laughs> they said yes, and that was that. Yeah. But what do you do with these insurance carriers? Who, who... The insurance carriers I have less trouble with. I don't know. I do know why. I treat them as human beings, and I think I understand their goals. We, um, but what if, you know, what if there's a policy? Like, I really got along really well with this attorney, and she was in-house counsel, so it wasn't like you have outside counsel and you have, you know, you have to go talk to inside counsel. I asked her to, she, you know, I asked him, rather, to, to call the general counsel and 
Um, he said no matter what, he has tried this before, and he can. And he he was very apologetic and wanted to settle and thought it was a good idea. But said I said, well, maybe it's just not ripe yet. Maybe it's not ripe. Maybe there hasn't been enough discovery yet. Well, there's no... This is not the Wild West we live in anymore, even though it feels like it when we look in the newspapers. People don't stand back to back, take 10 steps, turn around and shoot. And if you're Aaron Burr, then you succeed in killing the Secretary of Treasury and Vice President, former Vice President of the United States, Alexander Hamilton, um, who was opposed to, to uh, uh, duels, <laughs> but took it up anyway. This is not where we are. All that happens if there's not a settlement is that the parties get a chance or an opportunity to spend a little bit more money and have a public display of their argument and have 12 people, six of whom they choose, vote. And if nine agree one way or the other, then that's that. Right. And so I see my job in the the exact case you have with insurance carriers, which is why I gave you the example of the insurance person who came into the room, is forcing the insurance carrier person and whoever makes a decision with them, because sometimes you have to call back, right. to listen to all the facts and information that if the lawyer on the other side were highly competent, they will surely be confronted with at trial. Mm-hmm. And after they've listened to it, if they still don't want to settle because that's not good enough, right. then they have every right because there's no duel. They just exactly. go ahead and do that. Here's the problem for them, and I think why things settle. If you're really indefatigable in getting the information to the insurance company and you don't let go, I mean, I've had cases where it took four and five months after the mediation right? because right. discovery was so slow and things. Yes. But I just keep at getting information to them, and I keep posing the same question. If you met in committee with all this information, would you rather take the risk of what nine out of 12 people are going to say or would you rather reach a resolution? Mm-hmm. And what number for this information? Right. And I often ask, what more information do you need to get to the number the plaintiff has of, of 85,000 or mm-hmm. 200,000? Right. And they'll tell me what more. Well, we need to know this or we need to see that. Or very often, we need to know that they're actually going to have the surgery they say they you know, need to have. Exactly. We don't want to pay for something they don't have. And I say, oh, I can do that. They say, no, you can't. I say, yes, I can and I, I go to the other person, and I say, they'll pay you this much now, and they'll pay for your surgery this much money when you have it. Mm. And about half the time, the, you know, the person looks at me and says, what if I don't want the surgery? I said, well, they don't want to pay for the surgery you don't want. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we get them settled by focusing not on resolution, mm-hmm. but focusing on getting people well-informed and recognizing emotions and I talk to angry people. I tell them all the stories about what angry people do. Yes. And say, you don't want to be one of those. And when people are afraid, I exploit that fear by saying to them, this is the time for you to see how you can strengthen your case so you can make a good negotiation today. And Maybe you need to take a week off and we'll continue this in a week. After you've talked to some more people and you feel more confident, you shouldn't negotiate when you're Afraid, as you are now. Right, right. And, you know, necessity is, what is it, the mother of invention? Exactly, exactly. And when they hear that, they don't want to come back another day, and they suddenly start thinking of how they can prove their case. Right. Contacting someone or someone making a call to someone. So 
fear and anger. Sadness is a very different emotion. You, if you look at all the movies, like, I don't know, Leaving Las Vegas or something, you have this image of when people are really sad, they go to Las Vegas and they gamble like crazy. And then they're more sad when they lose all their money? Correct. <laughs> and so one of the dangers of the grieving process, and yes. one of the dangers when you're in a mediation and someone is sad, is they, they are like gamblers mm-hmm. or like lottery ticket buyers. They're so sad that the only way they can fill that void, that grief inside them, is to try and fill it up with some excitement like gambling or drinking or whatever it is. And the problem is you're only going to be worse off after you do that. Right. So when you see people who are sad in a mediation, they're going to take tactics that are going to be outrageous mm-hmm. or very acquisitive in different ways because they will do the parallel of the gambling or the drinking or the depression. And so you, when you see sadness, you need to talk to people about they're sad and, you know, this is some of the things sad people do or they take drugs. You don't want to do any of that. Maybe you shouldn't be negotiating now feeling like this. Um, so I don't think you can get people well-informed about the facts if you're at any level ignoring their sadness, their anger, their, their resentment, fear, yeah. their um, disgust is, is another emotion, you see, where people just get disgusted with the other person. And think about what you do when you're disgusted. Mm-hmm. Don't you go through the house and, like, throw out the things that are, seem like magazines you'll never read and so forth? Right. A disgusted people tend to th- throw things away. They're disgusted. They want to get rid of stuff. Right. And what does that mean? That means if they're in litigation, they may settle too cheaply. Because they just want it over with. They're so disgusted at the other side. That's what's another beauty of mediation is that you can share with the mediator those feelings and kind of release them and look at them outside of yourself Mm -hmm. and say, okay, now that we've released some of this anger and we understand it, now let's talk about what are we going to do. Now we can be a little bit more level-headed because you've released it, you've expressed it, you've put it out there. Now... Let's let's see if we can get to the point where we can look at this in a rational manner. So, Excellent approach. Well, we are out of time. Would you believe that, Max? The time went so quickly. But we want. I just want you to give your website and so people can learn more about all the great things that you do and they can look at all of your articles. Sure. It's www.factormediation.com. Well, thank you, Max, and we will have you back again, and you keep up that wonderful work that you're doing. We appreciate it, and we're going to make sure that people understand that they can have that privacy and confidentiality and still have a great resolution. So thank you so much. Thank you for including me. All right. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m., Learn about all sorts of privacy, whether it's information privacy, financial privacy, healthcare privacy, even mediation privacy, and how to resolve disputes like we did today. And write to, write an email to us at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests. And we look forward to being with you again next week. Bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.